Um, we decided, uh, Mike and I, that since this is a new year, um, this would be a great time to walk through some vision DNA. Uh, who are we as a church? And for those of you guys who are visiting for the first time, um, come back the next three weeks or else you're not going to get everything, okay? Uh, this is a chance for us to really talk about um, what we think is our DNA as a church. And so uh, we're looking at four different topics, uh, and they're sequentially in order for a particular reason, and you'll discover that over the course of this series. This week we're looking at kingdom, but it's the idea that what makes us the church? What's the seed that's being planted that's growing into Trinity Life Church? And the seed that we think uh, God's called us to be is a seed that looks like kingdom, uh, people that are oriented around this idea of the kingdom of God, and that's what we're going to talk about today, that are making disciples, right? We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing just social justice. We're not just doing like worship services, but we're genuinely making disciples, people that follow Christ and we're engaging society. And so it's you, not the pastors that have the heavy lifting because every day you go into your workplaces, every day you work on Bay Street, every day you go into the places of, 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 you know, into the community spaces, into your neighborhood, you're engaging society as a disciple of the kingdom. All right. And so kingdom disciple society. And from that, as people continue to give themselves to Jesus, as you continue to lead people to Jesus, we see the church emerge, right? The church is a product of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to be going through uh, over the next couple of weeks. So I'm really excited about uh, being able to do this. And for those of you guys who are newer to our church, uh, this will be a great chance for you to kind of like say, okay, let me, let me try to figure who these people are. Uh, are and uh, I hope that you will uh, continue to stick around for the rest of the um, this series. Um, we're going to be looking through Matthew 13 throughout the next couple of weeks. It's one chapter that Jesus devotes to parables. And he uses these parables to teach us the culture, the culture of the kingdom. All right. The kingdom of God, and it's such a, I know it's such a, a large idea for a lot of us. And for those of you who have never heard that term, I'm going to break it down a little bit more. But it seems like such a large idea. But I want you to know this, that the kingdom of God has a culture. And that culture matters. As a matter of fact, I want you to say that. Culture matters. Culture, thank you. Thank you, Adam. Culture matters. Why does it matter? Because, listen, culture shapes the way that you think about yourself, and culture shapes what you think is the purpose of your life. All right? Culture shapes how you view yourself, and then it also shapes how you view the purpose of life. All right? The kingdom has a culture. Your family has a culture. Our city has a culture. And each, each realm is dictated by a central figure. Your family was probably dictated either by your parents, your grandparents. Our city is dictated, its culture is dictated by some central figures, all right? Believe it or not, culture is more fathered into people than it is fostered into people, all right? That at the heart of culture, at the center of culture is somebody fathering, somebody fathering other people. Like, you're the spawn of somebody who has a cultural idea, all right? And so, um, I think, after kind of, you know, long, arduous research, my own thoughts, uh, but having a lot of conversation, that I think that the culture of our modern society is this idea of kingdom of self, kingdom of self. And this is what kingdom of self says. It says that you are at the center. You are your own person. You create your own destiny No one should ultimately tell you what you can or cannot do. This is the kingdom of self. And I think, whether or not you believe that or not, you know, I think some of the fathers of this is like, you know, different philosophers and postmodern thinkers and just 
just other people who you know are you know maybe capitalists. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not saying capitalism is good or bad or anything like that, but there is this sense in which there somebody had this idea. It began to foster this kind of thinking in our culture, and you may like that's not me, but here, it's like a fish in water. It's like telling a fish to describe water. It can't. You just live in it. This is the society that we live in, right? And so, um, in no other, in no other century, in no other century. Now, whether this is true or not, I don't know. In no other century has the West been talked about as the most individualistic, consumeristic society ever in civilization, right? Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but the, the reputation that we get in the West, in the Western world, in the Western modern world, is that this is us. This is who we are, right? But I think, by and large, most of us, most of you, um, most of this generation is starting to wake up and say, no, that's not the storyline that I'm buying into. I don't want to be at the center. I don't want to create my own destiny. I tried that. I'm, I'm trying that. Like, I don't want to buy that. As a matter of fact, I was listening to John Mayer. He was doing a, uh, uh, an interview. Any John Mayer fans in here? I'm not promoting him. I'm just saying. Uh, he's a great guitarist. Um, and so, I don't know, a couple years ago, he did this interview with a particular magazine. And um, uh, he, he, he kind of, he was kind of, he kind of hammed it up. And, uh, uh, you know, a few years later, I don't know if you've noticed, but he's just withdrawn from the, the limelight, right? He just kind of stepped away, right? And so, he did an interview with MSNBC uh, earlier this year. Anybody seen this interview? And um, uh, he says some pretty, uh, some pretty profound things for John Mayer. I mean, uh, he's a great lyricist, but uh, this is what John Mayer says, the gospel of John Mayer. He says, when you're 23 and you begin your life at the top of the chart, and you've got that spunk, and you go, bring on the world. When you invariably do find out that not everything you touch turns to gold, you've got a choice. You either bleed out or tie off. What does he mean by that? Mayer later uh, goes on to explain that he's an ego addicted person. He's addicted to his own ego. As a matter of fact, he started, he says, he started to live into the ideas that he was a, um, um, a sex idol, a womanizer, and he became addicted to the approval of people. And so it's, it's pretty fascinating how he just kind of like, you know, shares his heart with people. And he says, at the end of the day, I realized that I was going to crash if I continued to live this way, right? In a sense, the kingdom of self, even John Mayer knows it doesn't work for him. Even he knows that, man, if I get all that I want and if the world revolved around me and my relationships revolved around me and everybody that I knew thought that I was like the most important thing, even if that happened to me, I knew that I would still crash, right? As a matter of fact, if we believe this way, I think it'll fail for all of us. The kingdom of self will inevitably fail for all of us. My best friend who, in high school, we grew up together, uh, he's, um, he had a heart attack uh, uh, three, uh, two months ago, 38 years old. He's much, much older than I am. Uh, I'm 36. He's 38. 38 years old. Um, and nobody could have ever convinced him that he was going to have a heart attack. 38, successful, uh, beautiful wife, a beautiful life. Uh, manager of a regional, um, uh, uh, a regional uh, uh, part of uh, the largest auto supplier for uh, North America. Nobody would have told him that he was going to have a heart attack, but it just came. Church, this will, this kingdom of self, it will, it will arrest the hearts of people. And, and there's going to come a point when the kingdom of self is going to fail people in our city. 
Church, we have to be ready to provide a better response in the kingdom of self. You have to be able to, to tell a better story than the story of the kingdom of self. When the bottom falls out, and when people get the degree, when people are on Bay Street and they're working the job that they want, and they realize still what John Mayer realized, who is going to tell them a better story about who they are, about their purpose? Jesus had better answers. Uh, Jesus gives parables. He gives parables to help us understand that there's a better culture. There's a better culture. There's a better kingdom. And throughout the book of Matthew, in particular Matthew 13, all of these parables, actually what they end up doing is they're actually they're describing what it would look like to be in the family of God. You know, any of you ever curious to, to be like, I wonder what it feels like to have Mike and Missy as my parents? Nobody? <laughs> no. Jesus is telling, he's kind of giving his family secrets away when he's telling these parables, all right? As a matter of fact, parables are just like, you know, they're kind of like Proverbs, right? Uh, these were, a parable was the way in which Jesus spoke to people who they thought they were too smart to understand, like argumentation. And so he actually explains in Matthew 13, the beginning chapter, that he speaks parables to bypass the eyesight and to bypass hearing, meaning empirical like uh, understandings, meaning kind of logical argumentation. He uses parables, he says, specifically to penetrate the heart. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 13, 15, he says that he does this so that they would understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. And Jesus isn't interested in just healing our intellect or our mind or our logic or our argumentation. He's interested in healing our heart, our affection. The thing that makes us go, he tells these parables, to woo people in to his family for healing. So think about the heart attack analogy that I just talked about, about my friend a, a minute ago. Uh, 38, beautiful family, um, uh, just very successful. Nobody could have convinced him. Nobody could have convinced him that a heart attack was coming. And just like many of us living the kingdom of self lifestyle, nobody can tell you that you're going to crash. Empirical data will not tell you that you will crash. Some of us will only believe that we need more than what we have the moment that we crash. And so Jesus tells parables to, to say, man, there's healing. There's healing for your heart. There's, heal there's a better way to live. There's a different culture. It's a kingdom culture. All right. So the point of Jesus' parable today, um, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. So act interested, at least, because this is one of my poor, greatest. My, I love this passage of Scripture. All right. I won't do it justice. It's such a beautiful passage of Scripture. I think this is what the, the, the parable today, right? Every parable has a spiritual truth that helps hearts understand and accept the reality of the kingdom of God. Every parable. The, the point of a parable is trying to help you understand the reality of the kingdom of God. The parable today, I think, um, is really trying to, to help us understand this, right? Here's the point. I think I have it up here. That the truth that this parable tries to communicate is this. The kingdom of God is the culture that transforms you into the unique person God intends you to be on earth. The kingdom of God is the culture that transforms you into a unique person that he wants you to be here on earth. 
But you have to give up the kingdom of self whose culture will eventually destroy you. You have to give it up. Right? And so Jesus tells a story. He says that the kingdom of heaven, he says, what can I compare the kingdom of heaven to? He says, it's kind of like a treasure. It's kind of like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And a man comes and he finds it. And he's, anybody ever find like a quarter or a loony in your couches? And you're pretty excited about that. All right. More than that. Okay. All right. And so I get the sense that this guy's actually looking for, for treasure. He's a treasure hunter. Right. And so, but in a sense, he finds this treasure and he is ecstatic. We don't know what it is. Right. There's no use in trying to figure out what it is. Right. But the, he finds it and he knows that I, I have to have this. And for whatever reason, he's not a thief. He doesn't steal it. So you can't, the valuable things in life, you can't shortcut. Right? Valuable things in life, you can't shortcut. He knows that. He's not going to steal this. So he goes, it says, and he goes back. And in his joy, right? It's kind of like he shows up and he says, I know something you don't know. Right? And he's garage selling, and he is like, you know, you know, eBaying all his stuff, and he's just like everything, and he's selling everything, and and so he has this wad of cash, and he buys a field just to have that treasure. And Jesus looks at people, blank stares, right? I got another one. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like it's like a merchant who's looking for fine pearls, and he's searching. I've never been scuba diving, but I've been to Vietnam where there are tons of pearls in Halong Bay, and uh, I see the cliff divers go off the side, and they go in the bottom, and they go under the, the little um, bay and do all the things. So I don't know how difficult it is, any pearl divers? No. Uh, but apparently the small ones weren't good enough for him. And he's passing all these other pearls up because he's looking for a fine pearl. He's looking for a pearl of most value. And he finds one. Same response. He goes home, he sells everything that he has to gain that pearl. Right? This is kind of like a Yoda type story, right? I mean, Jesus is kind of like, you know, I'm trying to capitalize on Star Wars here. Um, this is kind of like a Yoda type thing, and people are kind of like, <laughs> what are you talking about, right? So, two questions arrive, arise from the parables. The first question is this. Why, why the hidden nature of the treasure in the pearls? So why in the kingdom of God is whatever it is that's the treasure, why is it so hidden? Why does God, Jesus have to speak in this way, right? Well, you kind of have to know what the treasure in the pearl is before you understand why it's hidden, right? So I don't know if you have an idea of what the treasure of the pearl is, right? But if you look at the other, if you look at the other parables that Jesus tells, he always has some kind of object lesson, right? Jesus is a very visual-oriented teacher, and so he talks about seed, he talks about trees, he talks about fish, he talks about yeast. He's using all these object lessons, and ultimately, these are all generally these are analogies for what Jesus is actually trying to say: the destiny of humanity, the destiny of humanity. The seed, the yeast, the wheat, the fish, the treasure, the pearl. Jesus is making an analogy in the kingdom of God. There is this destiny to humanity. I think this is the treasure in the pearl. All right, hold on to this. 
The treasure in the pearls is that you are chosen by God the Father to live under the power of the Holy Spirit, to partner with Jesus as humble rulers on the earth. You're chosen by God the Father to live underneath the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to partner with Jesus as humble rulers on the earth. This is the treasure that was being hidden. Why, why is it being hidden? All right. Um, well, I thought, it'd be, I, th- I thought it'd actually be nice to insert this into the parable. All right. I don't know how this is going to work out. We'll see. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is like the truth that you're chosen by God the Father to live underneath the power of the Holy Spirit, to partner with Jesus as humble rulers on earth, and it's hidden in a field. And imagine finding that. A man covers it up, and in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to go back and find his identity, his purpose. So why is this hidden from his his existence? Why? Why not just like obvious? Why not like just, you know, front shelf, top shelf, in the store display window, there if you want to purchase, right? Well, um, one thing is uh, that uh, there are some things in our lives that are contested for. There is competition for our life, right? We live in a contested space. There's a competition for our affections, our hearts, our commitments, our allegiances, our alliances. Everybody wants you to be on their team, right? Believe it or not, we have somebody, Satan, who wants to steal things from us. He wants to steal God's best from us. He wants to steal our destiny, our identity from us. In a sense, I think God hides this idea of who we are as humanity. He hides it from us so that other things can't steal from it. Just think about this. Like if I had something valuable to give to my kids, like when they turn 16 or 21, I'm not going to lay it out in the open. I'm going to hide it for them. I'm going to reserve it for them. I don't want any chance of anything coming to take and steal the very thing that I've reserved for them. Does that make sense? It should explain to some of us why sometimes like our, our, our longing for God, why it just seems so hard. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard for me to get closer to God? Why is it so hard for me to hear God? It's not that God is being rude. It's not that God is withholding from you. In his wisdom, he hides things not from you. He hides things for you. He's got something reserved for you. It's treasure in a pearl. All right. Um, here's how it plays out uh, in the storyline of our life. All right. I've got uh, two or three ideas up here. The kingdom of God's storyline says this, everything I have is God's because I'm loved as his child and my joy comes from him. It is my responsibility and privilege to live sacrificially to benefit others. That's the kingdom of God's storyline. The kingdom of self storyline says this, I worked so hard, I deserve all that I have. As long as I don't hurt anyone, I can live as I please. Which one does our culture operate out of? Here's another storyline. The kingdom of God storyline. You were made in the image of God to be like him. The kingdom of self storyline. You are God. You're the ultimate self-autonomous person. You make your own choices. 
And what you learn from what you learn from uh, from Jesus's parable is the reason why he hides these things is because there is a there is a potential. There's a potential that if he just leaves it all out there, if, if, if this is like this storyline that's stamped across our heads, and if there's no journey to it, if there's no perseverance to it, if there's no seeking and no searching and no discovering, right, there's a chance where we can pervert God's best for us. Then instead of us reaching our, our, our destinies as human beings, it becomes this self-help understanding of God wants to give you, you know, um, um, give it your way right away. Was this Burger King? Right, that's Burger King, right? Give it to your way right away, right? And that's not the case. It wasn't the case with Jesus. Jesus trained for it, right? You were meant to be a humble ruler like Jesus. Jesus went through this, this ordeal. He went through a desert. He went through perseverance. He went through disappointment. He went through God, do you hear me type moments, he went through anguish and agony, and he stayed faithful. And every step of the way, more was revealed to him. More was given to him. And what he had, he released it onto other people. God didn't say, hey, uh, my 12-year-old son, Connor, here is my inheritance, which I don't have much to give to him, to be honest with you. Here's my inheritance right now. No, as you mature, you get more. Discover it. Find it. Seek it. So Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be given to you. The second question is, why sell everything to buy the field of pearl? Why do you have to give up everything? Why can't it be both, right? In other words, why was this so, such good news to the man and to the merchant that they were willing to go home and sell everything? Why was it such good news, right? And oftentimes, people who are struggling with believing in God or in Jesus, they say this, can I just do that and have Jesus? All right. And some of you guys who didn't grow up in a different religion, um, it's harder for you to understand this. But I grew up, uh, my family was animist for a long time. And so a lot of people who grew up in animist think kind of First Nations, kind of, you know, shamanism. They would say, hey, can't we worship ancestors and, and like come to church or and worship Jesus, right? It was a very hard thing for them to understand. I think for a lot of people, and it's hard for us as Westerners because we think we have no culture, especially in North America. We don't have culture, like, right? You're a fish in a, in a water tank. <laughs> you live in it. That's why you can't see it, right? And so why is it important to be willing to give up other culture? That, that The culture that you live in, in order to gain the kingdom, of, uh, the culture of the kingdom. It's actually a joyful process if you've never done this before. You guys do spring cleaning, anybody? Right, in your 900 square foot apartment. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to let go some things, but when you've let go, when you let it go, don't you feel like, hey, I feel lighter. I didn't need, you know, that jacket. I didn't need those shoes. I didn't, right? When you purge, imagine a hoarder, purging and they're so afraid to let it go but but at the time the apartment's clean they're like wait why why don't i live this way right there's a joyful discovery that he's like why am i why am i holding on to these things you you have to let go of something in order to embrace another right and so that's the joy that jesus is getting at at this point that there's something in them right there's actually a freedom there's actually a, a clarity Oh, here's, for somebody this morning, clarity comes when you let go. For some of us, clarity comes when you just let go of the thing that you're holding on to. There's freedom, right? 
And that's the culture that God wants us to live in. One pastor writes this. He says, what a kingdom atmosphere, and I love that we just sang about this, what a kingdom atmosphere does is it gives people permission to think for themselves. We think we're in such an intellectual society. You went to university, you got two degrees, that you're a great thinker. No, culture. Somebody fathered the way that we think, right? What a kingdom atmosphere does is it gives people permission, permission to think for themselves, to think clearly, which is the essence of the freedom that only the Holy Spirit, only God himself and his spirit can give. Grace really is irresistible. When you see grace in a clear manner, it really is irresistible. And it's fun. It's joyful to be free. It's joyful to have the kingdom of God culture and live in it and breathe in it and not be restricted by the thoughts of other people and the thoughts of society. There's something freeing about living in this. Right? No wonder. No wonder they were able to, this guy was able to leave his job, his career, his house, his home to chase after this treasure or pearl. Kingdom culture is uh, it's a unique manifestation. It's a, it's a, it uniquely shows up in all of our lives in different ways. All right? And so God's not in the habit of making widgets, so you're not going to look like the person next to you uh, in character or, or, or in, in personality and gifting. Right? But there's something about the culture of God that's shaping your unique personality to be who you are meant to be on this earth. To be who you're meant to be in this community, in this church, in your family, at your job. Imagine if you approached your job in the fullness of who you are in the kingdom of God. The impact that it would make day by day, right? Um, And so it's not about coming to church and saying, hey, let's smile and be nice to each other. That's the kingdom of God culture. No. It's actually what you bring into your workplace, your community, your family, uh, your vocation, this past week, um, I had a doctor ask me to um, come to her clinic. She purchased a, a piece of property to uh, to start her second clinic. She already has one clinic. So she purchased a second clinic. Um, and so she has a vision. Uh, the property is large. It's about 8,000 square feet. And so the property is large enough for her to run her practice. But then also her vision is to build a senior community center so that all of her uh, abandoned and, 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 and sad and lonely patients have somewhere to go, right? So she sees all these, uh, all these, uh, this aging population, they have nowhere to go, right? And so her vision is, this is what I want to do. Like, I, I really feel like I don't know what else I can do in terms of making a difference in the world, but I think if I can heal people with my, my you know, physical expertise and then also have this place of emotional, spiritual healing for this aging population, I would, make, I would make a difference. And so we're praying, and we're praying for this property that God would really use it and God would really bring people to it. She begins weeping. She begins weeping, and she's crying. She's saying, God, I just really want you to touch my patience physically and spiritually. In her craft, in her vocation, because of her allegiance to the culture and the kingdom of God, she is going to bring it to her patience. There's so much that you can't do in a Sunday morning service that you can only do, and we're going to talk about this in three weeks, that you can only do in your place of vocation, in your place of leisure. There's, we can only do something very limited in this room together. The bulk of the kingdom work is your vocation, 
your neighborhood, your community. I'm going to give you, trust me, my sermon's winding down, not ramping up. I'm going to give you nine, <laughs> nine ways you are shaped by the kingdom. All right. Number one is this. The kingdom is about the culture of heaven. What's the difference between kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of heaven is an is a atmosphere. Kingdom of God, God is a person. The kingdom of heaven is this, I, this, I thinking that we're leaving the idea of scarcity and we're going into this idea of abundance. Number two, the kingdom is about the culture of father. It's a family culture, not a business culture, not a corporate culture. We're going from orphans to children in the kingdom of God. Thirdly, is the kingdom is about the culture of his son. From being alone to being led with integrity into absolute obedience. Four, the kingdom is about the culture of the Spirit of God. From powerlessness in God's kingdom, sometimes you are weak, sometimes you don't know, but you're never without power. He goes from powerlessness to humble confidence. Fifthly, uh, fourthly, the kingdom is about the culture of the Spirit of God. I already said that, sorry. Fifthly, the kingdom is about healing individuals from sickness to health. It's about miracles. Sixth, the kingdom is about healing society from injustice to fixed, healthy social structures. Seven, the kingdom is about creativity. It's from feeling limited, boxed in to absolute freedom. Eight, the kingdom is about integrity. It's from this duplicitous mindset into complete focus. You know who you are and you know your thing. Integrity. You're integrated. Number nine is the kingdom is about excellence. And it does away with this performance anxiety. And it moves you into this realm of natural gifting. Where you're just being yourself. There is no anxiety with it. Jesus says that this kingdom is here and now. It's not contained in this building. It's not contained in just a people group. That as much as we want to have heaven, God wants to have heaven here on earth. And this is another sermon for another week. But heaven is a storehouse for us. But it's not our ultimate place. The earth is. Revelations tells us very clearly that he is going to make all things new here on earth. I want to... end with this thought and we're going to spend a a minute in prayer imagine if the merchant or the man in the story in this parable imagine if that was God imagine imagine if God was the protagonist in the story and he's searching for fine pearls and he finds his treasure and God himself says this he says wow I found this treasure. And this is the treasure that you are chosen by God the Father to live under the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to be partners humbly with Jesus on this earth. And it reads later that, and in God's joy, he went home and gave everything He gave everything for this. When you think about the life of Jesus and the story of Jesus, Jesus is the everything that God gives so that you and I can live in the kingdom culture. 
He gave his best so that you could be chosen by God the Father as loved and accepted, empowered by the Holy Spirit, guided by him daily to be humble rulers with Jesus in your workplace, in Toronto, in your family. God gave his greatest treasure in heaven and exchanged it for the human destiny. This is what he's done for us. Tree Life, I, I, this is an awesome thought. What if there is one city in Canada? What if there is one city in Canada where God says, everybody in this city, I'm gonna, I'm, they're going to know this. Everybody in this city will live in this kingdom culture. Imagine the domino effect that would happen. Imagine the domino effect that would happen in Canada. That song that we sang at the beginning, right? When this, na- I don't know the words, nation back, man, right? That could happen if one city, it doesn't have to be Toronto, if a large, a small town, 10,000 people knew this is the, the domino effect would be tremendous. Think about this. In order for God to start with the city, he needs to start with communities. What if he started with us? You think, oh, that's selfish. Why? No, I want to be selfish. God, would you do that with us? Would, 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 could we be a part of your tipping point in this nation? Do with hundreds and thousands of other communities, but could you also include us in that? In order for God to change his city, he's got to change his people. He's got to start with us. We got to let it happen. You got to let it happen. You got to, you got to say, yes, I will leave. Leave the kingdom of self. Step into the kingdom culture. I'll do that if it means that this country has a chance at developing a new culture. That's why God God wants us to pray that way. God doesn't want us to pray, God, if it's convenient for you and it's convenient for us, then use us. No! (laughs) That's not the prayers that he wants us to pray. He said, I want to change the city. I want to change this nation. I I don't want Christians to, like, you know, to be weird and empowered. That's not what I want. I want my sons and daughters to carry the culture everywhere they go. If it means Shooter Street, that's where they take it. If it means Bay Street, that's where they take it. God wants, he wants us to ask for that.